Hey everyone. In this episode, I talked with my friend Sam about uh, all sorts of stuff. Algorithms, social media, AI, quantum computers, cryptocurrency, and yeah, just a whole bunch of stuff. But Sam's a freshman at Clemson, and he's in computer science major, has been doing all sorts of computer stuff since he was a little kid, but it was very fun talking with him. He's a curious guy and bright, and it's nice having a, a new friend with a lot of passion and drive. So anyways, I'd like to thank him for hopping on the podcast and just talking with me. So without any further ado, I hope everyone has a good time listening to this guy. Peace. I'm all right, I'm going. But literally all it is is two little two wires and your your supercomputer and that fits. There in your you pocket. go, yeah. It's, yeah. It's sick. <laughs> but anyways, so right before this we were talking about your family's getting a new or redoing their house. Yeah. It's gonna be a what is it? it? Kind of, kind of a smart home. Okay. Sort of a so so the idea is is to be able to control everything from that same supercomputer. Oh my you know? god. Yeah. So so one of the things that that we're looking into getting is like controls built into the the granite countertops. It's it's crazy, dude. What what they have available now is is ridiculous, and um and there's a single company. I think it's called Envision, maybe. And they sort of they, they've got hubs and everything that 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 link everything together, and you can use you can use different um, you can use like HomeKit and Google Home and and all the different um, all the different smart home uh, applications, and you can sort of tie them together into one app, and that's that's sort of what Envision is. So the the idea is like you want to turn on your fan, yeah, you can go to the switch, or you can just yeah click the fan and, and turn it so on. That's so cool. And and it's gonna be a it's going to be a big, big change for us. And, and I'm sure there's going to be a learning curve with, with my parents and whatnot because, you know, we're going from a house that has literally not, like a house where the Wi-Fi barely works. Yeah. And and then moving to a house where everything, like the fridge is connected to the Wi-Fi. Like, like literally everything. Yeah, um, that's kind of where... It's It's been extremely eye-opening seeing how much stuff is, is available now smart microwaves oh smart toasters smart fridges they just got everything at this point so i i guess besides uh i could see being able to control these individual devices without having to go to them being one good like benefit mm-hmm. of it what other kind of what else comes with this smart home besides just being able to turn on the lights security Security is the, the the other major thing. So so you know you hear of you hear of like Ring now and yep. and Ring now has has all sorts of competitors and and people doing similar things. So you know you can get you can get a really good camera set up around your house and and um, yeah you can like you can control your garage door and stuff. So so you know if you forget to close that or something you know it's. I think I think a lot of it, it has to do with peace of mind yeah. um, with security. Like if you forget to do something, you know you can you can go and look after, or you can you can keep an eye on your house. Um, I I think the the security features are definitely definitely the biggest advantage. The other thing you can do is like if if uh, someone needs to drop off a package, 
instead of them just like leaving it at the door just for anybody yeah. you can you can actually unlock the door and then tell them to just put it inside and then lock it after oh they leave. Yeah. yeah yeah so it's kind of it's kind of nice there there are a lot of like it's not so much that there are just major things that, that it would change, that, that it would make better, but there are a lot of tiny things, a lot of tiny scenarios where, where having you know, all these things interconnected and, and available from anywhere would, would come in handy. And you don't, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see like what those end up being, because yeah. you know, I've, I've, really, I've never really had that. Um, yeah, so that, that'll be an interesting project. It's, yeah. There's a lot that goes into it. Um, you've got to plan it perfectly from the start. In order to really have an effective smart home, you have to have you have to you have to have like really good network capabilities everywhere, everywhere. And and obviously, since like I said earlier, now you've got your toaster, your microwave, your fridge, your countertops connected to the Wi-Fi. You also have to have a lot of bandwidth in every room to support obviously other devices as well as the smart home devices because those are constantly kind of pulling and pushing data, especially the cameras and whatnot. So. It's a it's a it's a definitely a project. A lot of a lot of infrastructure that, that goes into it, and it's something that you have to consider very early on in the construction of the house. That's something my dad was not really expecting. Um, you know, he we we haven't even torn down the old house yet, and yeah. and he's already having to talk to these guys about you know how how they're going to make everything work. Essentially, is the data that that's going to be collected? Is that a uh... Is that going to be just with you, or is or like what kind of what companies, what what company would be getting this data? Like Google, Apple. So so again, it, it sort of depends on on the devices you choose to use. Okay. Um, you could go. Apple doesn't really have a full offering, so you can't really go just Apple. You can kind of go full Google. Um, there there is a bit of a question about about security as far as who's getting the data there, but yeah. the way I think about it is. What what would that information provide that Google doesn't already know about me? Yeah, <laughs> to, to, to an extent, you know, I, I it, it's a it's a concern definitely, but but you know they they've been doing that for so long they they know every in and out about me, which is scary, but but the yeah, truth it doesn't yeah you probably they probably won't know that much more about you from them having this access. 10, right. 10, 15 years after they've already been right. mining your your info for yeah, and, and and as important as I'd like to think that I am, I don't think that they're keeping an eye on me. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, that kind of that kind of makes me think about the future of information and data as a whole. Like I've heard of Brave. I like just saw an article on Brave. You know what Brave browser is? Like mm-hmm. it's like a it's like a privatized browser so that your data is not automatically shared with Google and everything and they'll like they can't just sell your data so brave just has this it's just like a, a browser that's that you're able to protect your data quote unquote protect your data a little bit more mm-hmm. I just wonder how much more uh, how much in the future it's gonna be I wonder if it'll be less and less cool to just know that Google's taken all of your shit yeah. like I wonder I wonder how the it's it's becoming less normal yeah. over time because yeah. it started off and the whole idea was, was like, well, okay, Google's free. It might be like harvesting our data, but it's free, right? Yeah. You know, and that and that was the that was the big advantage of that. And and I think there will be a question over the next over the next half decade, decade. You know, 
as to where the, these companies go from here. Like their entire model is based on this specialized advertisement. I think I think you're right. I think the the sentiment regarding that is going to continue to just you know people are people are are no longer okay with that. Yeah. And um, because it's been shown at this point, we can't we can't trust them with the data. They yeah. they sell it and they and they you know give it to they put it in all sorts of people's hands. And um, I think over time we'll we'll see a lot of like fundamental large changes to companies like YouTube and and Google and Facebook. YouTube is already you know they're already being hurt by by a lack of uh, of you know being able to personalize ads as much. Um, and now Apple's made this move on iPhone, which is extremely controversial in the tech industry, which makes it so that an app has to disclose exactly what they're taking from you and it has to disclose that that you know they might sell that data and that is like a a pop-up like you know when you get the the um terms and conditions or whatever terms and conditions that's um before they would have to disclose it in that but you know nobody's reading the terms and conditions 20 pages yeah so so now it's like uh you know when an app asks for your permission to to use your location Mm -hmm. it's a pop-up like that okay and and it is it is creating havoc in Silicon Valley because because people are now like, all right, well we we basically can't take these people. Oh, and you can opt out too. So that's the big thing. You can completely opt out of this of this personalized advertisement, and these companies can still obviously advertise, but it's just shots in the dark. You know, one of the big advantages to advertising on the internet was the ability to hit exactly the demographics you wanted to hit. Yeah. It's what made it the most efficient advertising in, you know, in history. Well, that's that's sort of falling apart at this point because of because of uh, these new rules being put in place and, and, and Apple's care for privacy. And what I, I think an interesting comparison to draw from that is like television advertising. You know, obviously, you can't hit a an exact demographic because you don't know who's watching the TV. But to an extent, right? You know, you know, if you can, you, you can put on QVC during the soap operas, right? And you, and you know who you're going to be reaching. Yeah. You're going to be reaching older people, right? Yeah. Well, now on on the on the internet, it's just blind advertising. You have no idea. Now, obviously, you can specify like what app you're advertising on, but but you know, by and large. If you're just advertising on Facebook and you're advertising to to whatever demographic, your your click rate is going to be terrible. Your ads are going to be ineffective. It kind of it, it, it's a major qualm with online advertising now, um, and I'm and I'm interested to see kind of where it goes from here. And and you see companies that that are now like they've recognized that they're pushing towards subscription services. YouTube is pushing YouTube Plus like crazy because they're like how. We need paid users. Yeah. Adblock is already hurting them enough, and now this this personalized stuff is is really kind of putting the nail in the coffin. So they, you know, it's unbearable now to, to watch YouTube with ads because yeah. you get like two ads at the start of the video, two ads in the middle. That is that is not a a product of them being greedy. It's a product of them not being able to capitalize on their users like they used to to support their service. Fact of the matter is, is, is you know, YouTube has hundreds of hours of content being uploaded every minute, and yeah. it is costly, very, very costly to manage that kind of data, and and they're not bringing in enough money to 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 handle it. Essentially, does I, I feel like I've does Google own YouTube? Yeah. Okay, yeah. and I, I've heard I feel like I've heard this that uh, 
that YouTube doesn't make money like they just because of the amount of bandwidth that they have to pay for it doesn't make money but having that huge of a company blocks anyone any other competitor from getting on it is, is that the, is that yeah it, it was a genius purchase by Google yeah. because because it's still like completely solidified YouTube as the video platform like yeah. like when you when you watch an online video now you're not even watching an online video you're watching a YouTube video a lot yeah. of the time yeah like like it, it is I've, I've always talked about in technology you know you're a successful company when your company name turns into like a, a regular English like verb yeah or, or now yeah. so you yeah. know like YouTube that or Google that yeah. right right so I think I think YouTube has sort of broken that barrier and and will remain the video platform um, but yeah, you're you're right. So Google, the the purchase of YouTube was was not so much to make money off the YouTube platform. It was just to expand upon this monolith that YouTube or that Google has been building for for years now, just collecting and harvesting as much data as as, as they can. And what better way to do that than than knowing exactly what people want to watch and yeah. and knowing knowing their trends and that the YouTube algorithm is scary good. I mean, it is incredibly good at finding stuff that you want to watch. Okay, well, I, all right, I kind of want to, I want to get into like the depths of algorithms, but I guess I first want to ask, like, how, how have you been super into depth with technology, and what's, what's, how do you, how have you learned so many things? Yeah, so, so it all kind of started back in, um, <laughs> back in middle school, and um, you and I were talking, talking the other day, and I, me I mentioned my friend Derek, and. Uh, he um, he brought over a bunch of bunch of cards one day, and we built like a Bitcoin mining rig. Well, a couple of years prior to that, I must have been in probably the sixth grade, and he said, um, he I was talking to him one day. He's like, "I'm gonna build a computer," and I looked at him like, "You're crazy. You're not gonna build a computer like that. That's that's so ridiculously above your head." He's like, "No, I'm gonna do it, and and you can help me if you want." I was like, "Might as well," and I really wasn't even that interested in technology at the time. I, I certainly had like a engineering centric mind, but technology wasn't really my forte then. Um, but, but we ended up, ended up doing it and it ended up being successful. It wasn't the best computer, but I mean, it was really cool that he had built it. And like from that moment on, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm all for this stuff. I, I love this stuff. Um, and, and so I was kind of just, I've always been a very curious person. I sort of kind of do started kind of doing my own research and, and ultimately, for Christmas one year, my dad's like, "Why don't you build your own computer, just like Derek did?" So I built my own, and and um, and it was on that computer when I started to learn programming. Um, from the from the very start, I was big into Java, um, and I actually started started taking Java at my at my school before I was supposed to be offered it. I started it in middle school. That's something they don't really offer until high school. So I got a really early start on uh, on programming and and. Um, and through that sort of an understanding of how computers work behind the scenes, which is absolutely fascinating to me. I, I used to take apart everything I could to, to see how it worked on the inside. And, you know, computers so complex, you can't really just look at the inside and be like, oh, this does that. Yeah. Now, like figuring out how, how it actually works under the hood, you know, how memory is managed and whatnot was, was super interesting to me. Um, and yeah, that sort of just, just formed into into the love I have for it now and here I am studying computer science and That's and awesome. wanting to do it as a living so that is so cool well yeah. I guess I've I don't know if I told you this but a few months ago kind of around the time when uh, 
Uh, let's see. I guess, well, last semester I took a management class. Dude, I've been in business management because I just didn't really know what the heck I wanted to do. And this past uh, semester I had an Excel class, like business model management stuff. And it was like, it was an Excel class, but it was the first time in a business class where I had to like think and solve a problem. And it was, it was basically like teaching you program, like how to, how to think to solve programming issues even though it was like excel we were we were trying to solve these uh like we were i was just getting introduced to if and for or if loops or conditionals and all these different little things mm -hmm. and then christmas time rolls around and i ended up getting uh curious about programming and uh especially whenever twitter uh like completely shut down trump and then Amazon Web Service completely shut down Parler as a mm -hmm. whole. That just kind of like opened my eyes. Like, hey, this this guy who created this new thing in on the internet or whatever, ten years later, now has the ability to silence the president of the United States. Mm -hmm. This tech stuff is the future, and it is the most influential thing to humanity that's ever existed. Like, an individual person can reach millions and millions of people i don't know it was just it just blew my mind and it so i was well. yeah it's it's insane and i was uh asking my friend alex who's a computer science major at uh in well actually back it up before the trump stuff i did a podcast with alex and i just wanted to talk to him and we ended up talking for like two and a half hours about computer stuff and it was awesome so like yeah. that kind of like really got me going but uh yes yeah, so we just started I just started calling them every day pretty much all, all throughout January and we would work on this little Bitcoin alert project. Like I had the idea of, hey, whenever Bitcoin reaches a certain price, I want my program to be able to go online and text me through some text messaging website and then just send me a, a, a thing on my phone. And so we just started doing that and it's just been really sick, but I guess I feel like I've wasted not, not wasted time here doing like a business management thing, but I sure as hell wish that I knew that I wanted to be doing this in mm -hmm. middle school or yeah. in high school or the beginning of college, but now we're like at the end. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think, you know, it, it's valid to, to regret not picking up on it earlier, but mm -hmm. at the same time, learning programming, yeah, and, and yes, it's good to start early, but it, but it's also really good to start when you kind of have that understanding of problem solving of of sort of because you you come into you come into programming in like a introductory course in, in late middle school or high school and and you just can't really understand the logic the the if logic you know the, the there's a, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't really click at mm -hmm. first and and if you've been given sort of a a, a preliminary rundown on on like the the inner workings of a, of a program, even if it is in Excel, it can be extremely helpful into into just having the mindset to code. That's so much of coding. You know, people get so tied up in the syntax. They think they think that you know every every semicolon is is extremely important, and they are. But you'll get the syntax. It's like learning a language. Yeah. That's, there's a reason they call it a programming language. But, um, yeah, I I certainly think that that going into it now, you know. There's advantages to that too. While yeah. while there are also advantages to getting into it 
you know, at a young age. At least you recognize it now, right? Yeah. At least it wasn't ten years down the road from now. Yeah. You, you're definitely. still you're still at a at a point where you can um, where you can capitalize on it. Definitely. And, um, and you know, nowadays there's there's so many resources out there. Like you can teach yourself to to code on YouTube. Yeah. Shout you really out YouTube. Can. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. it's it's incredible. <laughs> I mean, you no longer have to have to pay for for a degree in computer science to know computer science. Yeah. And um, definitely. And unfortunately, you know, there, there's a lot of weight that comes with a computer science degree, but but you can uh, you can certainly some some of the best programmers I know, like you know, finance majors or or yeah. you know, stuff like that, they're just they're interested in it, um, and it's a passion for them, and and in a lot of cases they they just take the computer science that they've taught themselves and apply it to their major. You know, yeah. finance and computer science go beautifully together. It's something that I've considered. Um, and, and that's the beauty with computer science is you can do anything with it. Yeah, you know, it goes there's into not every, a field everything. at this point that hasn't been, you know, yeah. to say to say touched is an understatement. That yeah. hasn't had a you know car run through it by computer science. Yeah, right? yeah. So literally, yeah, <laughs> with Tesla's autopilot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no. Uh, especially, it feels like finance is definitely a an area of growing. Like, mm -hmm. hey, decentralized finance. This stuff is this could very well be the future like mm -hmm. this could very well become how i buy my first house like mm -hmm. who knows my yeah. first smart house through with bitcoin, bitcoin. Or with yeah, some, yeah yeah like uh well uh well i want to talk about bitcoin later yeah i was gonna say that, that well actually yeah we'll go ahead topic. and say it well yeah, all right yeah. well, let's say <laughs> all right so what what's your experience with decentralized finance or is, is Bitcoin decentralized finance or is that a crypto yeah. is that the same thing or is it yeah, two different yeah. things when you, when you say decentralized finance it just no kinda, bank right right no bank or no treasury no, no government <laughs> yeah yeah um, I so so as far as my as far as my opinion on on decentralized currency I mean I mean I think it is objectively a great thing mm -hmm. I, I, I don't think there's anyone who can validly argue that a decentralized currency is bad no. right because a it, this is the first time in history really that a decentralized currency is actually possible which is very cool um, it, it's actually something that we can do now and removing those ties from the government you know there, there are a lot of there's a lot of good that comes with that but then you've got to be realistic how do you achieve that obviously we've achieved the decentralized network we have the decentralized currency I don't see a world in which the government allows it to, yeah. to flourish like it like it should. Yeah. Um, and that's a shame. It, it's a, it's definitely a shame, and I and I hope that changes. But but I see that as Bitcoin's massive obstacle, the the elephant in the room. Yeah. And there are other things too, um, like 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 the energy efficiency of Bitcoin. You know, in, in a world where everybody, you know, companies that aren't moving to be environmentally sustainable at this point. Are going broke, which is a good thing. Which yeah. is, you know, that's a very good thing. But it, but it's kind of funny because Bitcoin is like the antithesis of that. Yeah. It, it takes a hundred times more energy to complete a Bitcoin transaction than it does a credit card transaction. Yeah. You know, so so there, there are definitely some qualms with the with the energy consumption, and then this is this is something that would be very complex to get into. We'll we'll unfold into a big conversation, but I think. Bitcoin stands to uh, stands to run into some problems with uh, obviously the the massive increase in, in computational power for for hashing like 
uh, like Google now has a has a computer that functions on the exa scale, which doesn't mean much to, at face value, but that computer can hash at one million trillion times well, per second. Okay, so a hash. All right, I'm going back for a second. Hashing is uh, isn't that like the ability to is that like into in encryption is that what hashing is yes or like, yeah okay so that that's all so, that's all randomness all hashing the idea is hashing is a computer guessing what a bitcoin is essentially yeah. it's it's guessing when you're mining a bitcoin you're wait so can i'm you they they now has a computer that can actually have the power to end up guessing a, a hash on the blockchain yeah so i'm getting into that so Whoa. so this is this is where this is not a uh, not an issue that many people have talked about but but while, while moore's law hasn't held to be exactly true the number of transistors and processors isn't necessarily going up at this point the transistors are getting smaller they're getting more efficient and uh and overall electricity has less distance to travel in a, in a smaller processor they're getting way faster I mean, a million trillion floating point operations per second. That is unfathomable. Now, now, that's not to say that that computer could, at this moment, you know, just guess a Bitcoin like that or, or hash a Bitcoin transaction like that and break the whole system. It still couldn't. 256-bit encry encryption is, is extremely hard to break. There are so many permutations that a computer has to go through to, to guess that, to hack it, essentially. But what really makes what really makes it interesting is when quantum computing comes into the equation, because and and quantum computing is a tough concept to talk about because it's such a hard thing to describe. It's such a hard thing for people to understand. No one really gets quantum mechanics, and and you know, I I know a bit about it, but I certainly don't fully understand it. Um, but but to put it shortly. One thing that a quantum computer can can do that a traditional computer cannot is true randomness. Now that that seems like wait, you know, I can I can go pull up a, a random number generator on my computer, right, and generate a random number. No, that's not a random number. Believe it or not, a computer uh, in in you know its modern form in ones and zeros, a binary computer, cannot actually create a truly random number. It is an algorithm designed to create a near random number, or or maybe the the computer samples the temperature of the processor and and finds a way to create a random number based on that. Okay, there, there are a lot of methods only, employed. And the like, if you were if an al a random number algorithm is not a random number because the algorithm is the same all the time. Right, and it's it's systematic. It is it, you cannot create randomness from from. A, from non-randomness, yeah, that yeah. is that, that is absolutely anything but random, yeah. right? So, so you know, that's that's a that's actually been a, a question of computing for a long time, and I'm I'm going going off on a tangent here, but Cloudflare, have you heard of Cloudflare? Uh, I've maybe have heard of it. I don't know what it is. This is super, super, super interesting. Cloudflare protects like forty percent of the internet or something from DDoS attacks. They're they're like top of the line encryption and and they basically help websites maintain a, a, a high um, a high uptime. And um, Cloudflare, they, their encryption has to be spot on and their decryption has to be spot on. So they are really dependent on randomness. Well, yeah, they don't want to use an algorithm that's not truly random. They don't want to have to sample, you know, temperatures from a processor to, to get a to get a random number because that's sort of a janky way of doing it as well. Believe it or not, 
Cloudflare's randomness is actually based on like a wall of 100 lava lamps just running all the time. Now, this what? is ridiculous. You need to look it up at some point. It, it, is, it is unbelievable. So they film this wall and then they take the image and, and they, they take a still image from, from a video. Yeah. And then they, they basically turn that image into, into a string of, you know, you can think of it as just a string of one, ones like and zeros. Like a matrix kind of thing? Or mm -hmm. what is it? What, it's, what would it technically be called? I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just essentially putting the photo into, into a, a format readable by the yeah. computer. Uh -huh. but, but, you know, every photo of those lava lamps is going to be different. Yeah. It's going to be random. Yeah. And I, I read about that and I was like, that's the coolest thing ever. That's you know, so they, they're employing lava lamps to, and, and you can, you can look up a video of like the, the CTO of Cloudflare talking about it and it is super interesting. Um, and then getting back to kind of what, what that means for, for Bitcoin and, and in the context of quantum computing, well, quantum computers, one of their biggest advantages is that they can do all that. They can just do randomness and they can they can do it to you know it's not algorithmic it's truly truly random how do they do that so so that kind of gets into a full explanation of how quantum computing works and so i'll, I'll briefly kind of describe essentially what it is so so whereas in a, in a traditional computer you have a transistor which is an, a light switch on mm -hmm. on or off mm -hmm. in a quantum computer you have something called a qubit and, and a qubit is, is essentially a particle that's being held at an extremely, extremely cold temperature and uh, really close to absolute zero, really mm -hmm. close to as cold as you can get. Yeah. And what that does is, is it essentially slows down the processes of the particle, like, like you know, an electron orbiting. Yeah. That's kind of all quantum computing is, is about electrons orbiting. It slows down the electron to where it becomes observable. The thing about electrons is you can't, you know, you can't usually observe them. They're massless particles. So inside of a qubit, it's being held to where, to where it can be observed. And the importance of that is, is that you can, um, you, can, <laughs> you can essentially, it's all probability based, basically. Um, and again, like I said, it's kind of hard to, to summarize it all in, in one little go, but um, the whole idea of quantum mechanics is is to be able to pick out a position of a particle in space. Mm. Since you can't observe these particles, how do you do that? Well, in, in like the late 1800s, they're like, well, there really is no way. So what do we have to do? You have to do probability. It's all probability. What is the probability that this electron orbiting this particle will be at, at this spot at this exact time? And I'm not sure how familiar you are with, with Schrodinger's cat. No, you, I'm not. You heard of that? So what, that's, is, what is that? So that's that's the um, that that's kind of like the the main. Um, I'm trying to think of how how to describe it. That's that that is a a very famous way to describe quantum quantum mechanics and and how they work. The idea is you have a cat in a box with a with a radioactive isotope attached to like a vial with a radioactive isotope attached to the lid of the box. If the isotope spills, the cat dies. Obviously, the cat's alive if, if it doesn't spill. When you open that box, the question is, obviously, the cat's going to die if you open the box. But, but the question is, what was the cat before you opened the box? Was it alive or was it dead? And can you verify that? 
It's like the idea. You can't verify it unless you open the box and then it's automatically Exactly. Dead. Yeah, it's the observation of it. Okay. So the idea of a quantum computer is, is you don't essentially know the position of an electron, but when you observe it, that is basically the only time you're going to observe it in that position. It's not something you can time, essentially. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's what's so cool about it is, is like an electron is, you're never going to observe an electron in the same place it was before. You never will. There's just no, no chance. And, um, and what, what that provides, and, and there's a lot of misunderstanding as to what kind of quantum computers are. I've described it as, as quantum computers are to modern computers what the car was to the, to the carriage. This is not a. This is not like the electric car to the to the gas car. It's completely different. It is. It is a completely different thing. Because it goes from instead of like from from a, a machine that can't be random to something that can be random. And how does I, I I've heard of I've I've heard about quantum computers. How like in regular computers, ones and zeros are what. The binary code or binary, what is what is it called? The code is that what it runs on or? Bi yeah, it's really just it's binary. binary. It's just yeah. to as binary. So instead of it being run on binary, it's there's one, zero, and then a maybe. Everything right? in between. Yeah, okay. Every, okay. Okay. Between. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is so, an infinite amount of possibilities per each byte or bit or whatever. Yeah. And so how does that? How does that? How does how does a quantum computer? Does it just have an like an infinite amount of power now compared to it, or what's the? It's so so. This is where the misconception comes in that I, that I was talking about. People think they're like, oh, quantum computers are going to be able to. They're going to revolutionize video games. I've heard someone say that. They're like, they're like, imagine how well a quantum computer is going to be able to run X video game. No, this is not. You know, you cannot just take something from a traditional computer and port it to a quantum computer. It doesn't work like that because the fundamental basis of how a quantum computer works is just, it's, it's different. different. It's a different machine. It's almost, you know, given how, given how deep we are into calling binary computers computers, it's almost not good that we refer to quantum computers as computers as well. Yes, they're technically computers, but you know, they're, they're doing things so much differently. And, and people seem to think that, that it'll just be a, uh, a more powerful version of the computers we have today. But it's actually just, just something with completely different application. So what's, what's it gonna be applied to? And, it, all right, go. It's, it's extremely powerful for encryption is the big one, and AI and neural networks. Those are, that is where quantum computers jump it, I mean, the the degree to which quantum computers are better at what they're at what they are better at doing over a traditional computer is is incredible. So, to put it in perspective with Bitcoin, in order for a traditional computer to hash a Bitcoin, it would take two to the two hundred and fifty sixth power permutations, yeah. which is a unfathomably large number. Yeah. I mean, that is a ridiculously big yeah. number. Um, like like a, like a overflow type number, you wouldn't even be able to see it. A quantum computer would be 256 to the third power. Still a large number, but much 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 smaller. Wait, instead yeah. of so instead of two to the 256 power, which is the the binaries, like whenever mm -hmm. you have two to the 200 something rays, like that's just all the ones. That's the amount of ones and zeros that it's going to take to to like show what's on to. 
what's, represent what, to yeah. represent what's happening, and then quantum computer will be able to like almost like invert that whole thing invert and make it, it yeah. so that. And how is that? How is I guess because, uh, dude, I just started learning about this stuff on like Harvard Harvard CS fifty pre course online. So like the mm. binary, all this is like super new to me, but. So it's able to go instead of two to the whatever because of the one zeros, it's able to be two hundred fifty six to the third. Why is it two hundred fifty six instead of like an infinite number? That's it's, the, so so that that would that would just be that's an arbitrary example. That's just a two hundred fifty six okay. bit encryption okay. that it would okay. be working on. Two hundred fifty six is you know if it's a if it's a sixty four bit encryption then it would just be sixty four. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's. I mean, the, the difference in the, the magnitude of the difference there is is ridiculous. And, and I think that stands to be a big test for Bitcoin. Can it withhold the power of a quantum computer? Because a quantum computer will be able to hash out a Bitcoin like that. And that is a that's a problem that yeah. the, there's no there's no way you could describe the Bitcoin network where that wouldn't be a problem yeah. like that. That's just a big issue. Now, obviously, that is that is sort of contingent on quantum computers getting into the hands of people that would be, you know, that would that would want to do that, that would do that. Quantum computers are so vastly expensive. They are, they're, they're so vastly complicated. Like I said, you have to keep the particle at almost absolute zero. I mean, these things cost like hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe even a day to manage. Um, and there are very few companies doing it right now because it's all very preliminary. But, um, you know, it's, it's great for many applications, but it, but it does come with, with a big downside, which is that it breaks modern encryption that's like that's a big deal, you know. Yeah. That, you're talking about a lot of data getting potentially leaked there. The flip side to that is that is that the sheer amount of data that a that a uh, quantum computer can can run through and analyze in a way that that has previously never been possible on a traditional computer is is just unbelievable. I'll, I'll have to show you a demo at some point where a quantum computer goes through the entire story of Romeo and Juliet. And it creates like character arcs for each of the characters in the book. It takes 0.2 seconds or something for it to for it to hash the entire Romeo and Juliet book, and it finds the relationships between each characters and how they work and the dynamics. This is this is something that a typical computer just can't do, and and that's why I say it's so important in neural networking. Quantum computer might open quantum computers might open the window for us to actually come close. To simulating the human mind, AGI, which is yeah, it's that, that's scary. You know, there, there's a lot of a uh, lot of issues that I think a lot of a lot of uh, ethical issues that come with doing that. But yeah. um, well, you better get on the computer's good side. Yeah, before they start right running shit. I wonder. Like, I've, I guess I've told you about Ben Gertzel. Well, before I guess before we get to it, uh, so you. Go back to cryptocurrency, Bitcoin for a second. It's gonna get broken. As it's probably gonna get broken whenever quantum computers get into the hands of people that don't really want Bitcoin to be there. Mm -hmm. And right now, it's there aren't very many quantum computers because they're so expensive to run. But I can think of one organization that has the resources and the motive to shut down that shit which government. is the US government. Yeah. So 
are they doing that right now? Do you have any idea? No, I, I don't think it, it would be a very bad idea for them to do that right now just simply because of how much Bitcoin people hold. Oh, yeah. That, that would be a... Um, and, and that's that's the... I, that might honestly be the only thing preventing them from doing that because you take down Bitcoin, you've got you've got you know Bitcoin almost as a trillion dollar market cap now, and yeah. and much of it is traded in the United States. You're talking about people who who've made investments, and and these are valid securities. Like yeah. even by the government, they are they are recognized as as valid you know investments. So you know the government can't really just go in and, and just destroy it as much as you know they want to. Yeah. Because it, it does pose such a threat to, to their control, um, I I don't see that happening in the near future, but down the road, depending on how prevalent on how prevalent Bitcoin becomes, it, it could it could potentially pose a problem for sure, and um, and a lot of that the probability of that happening, a lot of it lies in the hands of the government, in the hands of the treasury, and how they decide to handle the current rates of inflation, which are also pushing people towards Bitcoin. Yes. You know, because we, we're, we're printing money like crazy right yeah. now. Um, I think there's some stat, like more money was printed in 2020 than, or more, yeah, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was like more money was printed in in some quarter of 2020 than than like the entire past five years combined yeah yeah which is just crazy the no value being added but all the money is being thrown right out right so so yeah. you don't see it right now it's sort of a it's sort of a delayed uh delayed reaction by the economy you you're you're printing money right now and yes everything's going up it's a bullish market right now you know apple's worth 2.5 trillion dollars you know there's, there's a lot of money in the in the market right now well when things start to go bad that's when the inflation starts to manifest, yeah. right? That's when, that's when that that value that they thought they were adding shows to be actually worthless, yeah, you know, just nothing. Um, and you've been predicting. Well, I guess you've been uh, you've been into the stock market stuff, and mm-hmm. you were into Bitcoin a, a long time ago. And I'm sure you wish that you were still into. Bitcoin. Yes. If you want to share that story, you can. Yeah. If not, that's okay. But uh, yeah, so you've you've been uh, you've been deep into investing since you were little, and you're thinking that this is about to everything's kind of about to get exposed, correct? Yeah, I, I think that that there's just well, well, first off, I think um, I think the situation with like GameStop and and this frenzy that's happened recently. I, I held my views about the market crashing before that, but that really reinforced yeah. them to me. Yeah. Because because that was that was honestly such a paradigm shift. I mean, I have never I, I don't think there has ever been anything like that. No, there there hasn't. What that was was a group of people coming together via the internet to influence the market. And since it is a group of unrelated people doing unrelated trades there's nothing that can be done about it yeah. nothing now now obviously the hedge funds they're going to end up coming out on top they always do but that signals a that that signals a massive influx of momentum trading in the market just people who just follow follow the trends yeah well that's good when the trends are going up right you've got all these companies lately like like the I'm not sure if you saw the cannabis boom that happened like a couple weeks yeah. ago. That was all Reddit driven too. Yeah, they pumped up Sundial 
300%, and then it fell back down to almost what it was the, literally the, de- the next day. Yeah. I just don't see how, how when you get so many traders who, who, can, who have that kind of power, but you know, in all honesty, have no idea what they're doing, yeah. it seems like a recipe for disaster. Yeah, to me. it feels like a joke. Everything feels like a it joke. It really right now. does. And, the, yeah. the market has never felt this silly yeah. ever. And, and, and um, that, that's concerning for sure. Um, what I think is, is even more concerning and, and sort of adds to that is, is just simply how overvalued some of these companies are now. I mean, it, it's so speculative. You know, look at Tesla, for example. Tesla's got a market cap that is so far beyond what it should be given their sales. And everyone says, oh, it's speculation. You know, who doesn't want to be in Tesla right now? Yeah. Well, at some point, you have to return to some sort of financial justification for your numbers, for your stock price, for whatever. You, their, their earnings per share is like 52 cents, which is abysmal. Like Amazon had that in like 2006. And, and they, they were at a, a significantly smaller market cap than Tesla when, yeah. when they had that. And I would say Amazon was just as speculative of a company then as Tesla is now. Mm-hmm. Now, who, who knows what will happen with Tesla specifically? Um, they, they've taken a hit, taken a hit lately, and, and maybe that's part of the reason, just because they are so overvalued. But I don't, I don't see how how it's sustainable because because people are just hopping into Tesla because they are the EV company. Well, I'm here to tell you right now, Audi and BMW and Mercedes and all these other companies and the American manufacturers, they're not just going to sit on the sideline and let Tesla yeah. ruin their entire business. Yeah. People are like, look how far ahead Tesla is. That is a facade. It is, these, these companies are pouring billions and billions of dollars into EVs and specifically into exactly what Tesla is doing. And I would venture to guess that those companies are going to be more successful in, in achieving that than people, than people think. That people are pricing them. Right, be, yeah. right, right. So, so, you know, I think in a couple of years, Tesla's really gonna have to they're, they're really going to have some, uh, some good competition because you also have to think Tesla's been around for, for you know, since just after the, 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 turn, of the turn of the century. But um, these big auto manufacturers have been around for decades and decades. They, they know this stuff. Yeah. They know this stuff. And, and they know how to manufacture. They know how to do quality control. Tesla continues to have massive issues with quality control. But no one's paying attention to that because it is Tesla, it's Elon Musk. How can they fail? Yeah. That is the sentiment that I think can be very, very dangerous in a market like this. Because when things start to go bad for Tesla, I think, I certainly think Tesla will be very successful in the long run, but I don't think it's gonna be without trouble. Yeah. I think Tesla is, is set up to have probably a, honestly, I think a couple, you know, Couple rough months here, here and there. Maybe, maybe you know, for the next six months or so, they'll they'll continue to struggle. And I think you you stand the risk there, of with all these momentum driven traders of the bottom just dropping out on a stock like that. And then you you've instantly got so many people losing a crazy amount of money. And I, I think I think something like that would spur an entire pattern in the market. Then people start dropping Apple. Then people start dropping Google. Then people and then. Then you're talking about the ETFs getting hit. 
That's you remember we were talking about ETFs the other night. Yeah. That's me shorting the ETFs. That's that's the reasoning of that. The ETF and the ETF is explain that again. To, to put it simply, it's it's a collection of of it's a collection of equity of of various companies held by like a a central um, a central fund. Okay. And um, so so you've got like. Uh, like Fidelity has ETFs, and so they've like a, got like a consumer staples ETF, and that that would be you know, that would be things like that are necessary for for so like Procter and Gamble's and that. So that's you know they produce staples. So so a lot of times ETFs will have kind of a uh, a focus, right? Um, so there are tech ETFs and oil ETFs, whatever. Well, what I think is going to happen is is a lot of these a lot of these ETFs now that people are putting their money into. The beautiful thing of the ETFs is that anybody can just sort of bet on the market, and yeah. it's a good market to bet on, right? Yeah. You know, who doesn't want to bet on this market? It's just always going up, except for the last couple of weeks. But but um, I think what's going to happen is is the price of the price falling of a stock like Tesla or or like Apple or like AMD or something like that causes the ETFs to drop a little bit and drop a little bit and drop a little bit. And then all of a sudden those same momentum traders, yeah. they start selling the ETFs yeah. and that's when things get really, really ugly. That's when you end up in this infinite loop of, of, of retail investors is what they call them. You know, like, like you and me essentially. Yeah. If we were, that, that's where the retail investors, which by the way, now comprise a larger percent of the market than, than ever before in history. Yeah. 25% of the market is now retail investor, which sounds like not much, but that number used to be like 10%, eight to 10% at absolute most. I think, I think the market, to put it simply, the market rests in the hands of a bunch of people who, who don't understand what, what is going on, who are, who are just making a quick buck and who are just putting their money into ETFs, which there's nothing wrong with, but, but the foundation on which the ETFs sit, I think is, a, is an unstable one. At yeah, best. I think it's, it's pretty, it's pretty uh, scary, at least to me, whenever I see that now a lot of people are making a lot of money on cryptocurrencies and GameStop and just all these other, like these little quick little tricks to get to get rich. Like, okay, mm -hmm. you put $1,000 into this one stock or this one cryptocurrency and all of a sudden in, in a month, you have $100,000. Okay, that's cool that you have a hundred thousand dollars, but you didn't really do anything at all to earn that. Mm -hmm. So, what happens whenever there's an entire section of, of the of uh, the economy that has that just has a bunch of money from doing absolutely nothing? Like, there's there's no way that this is isn't doesn't have negative impacts. You know, like yeah. if if you're not doing shit, then how are you, like how are you getting 10, 10, 20 million just for like just for not doing anything. Yeah, yeah it's, there's money doesn't that. come from nowhere. Exactly. Right, yeah. Mo exactly. Money's not free. And if it is coming from nowhere, then it's being stolen from the rest of the people that have like right. that's what that's what the like the stock market or not stock market back two thousand eight recession whenever it was like socialism. What is it? Socialism for the rich and like everyone everyone got screwed out of all their money except for the people at the top. Who somehow miraculously ended up being able to come back out right where they were after they were the ones that caused the recession, and like so, there's I don't know this. It's just not it's not good. No, <laughs> the no, and, money and doesn't come from nowhere. And that's generally you know that's that's what I'm concerned about now is is these hedge funds, these hedge funds. They're 
everyone's everyone's like, oh, the GameStop frenzy has the hedge funds scared. No, the hedge funds are licking their chops right now because they are they now have a whole new generation of investors that they can just take advantage of. Yep. In in ways that never, dude. There were hedge funds who had bots scanning the Wall Street Bet subreddit, trying to figure out what guys on there were trying to do. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, that that is that is troublesome to think about. Yeah. You know that that the risks posed by by something like that are are unbelievable. It's it's a whole new it's a whole new generation. That is exactly what it is. It's a it's the first thing that that has made me feel old. In, in my in my life has been how the market is right now. It's so it's so perfectly like millennial <laughs> of what's going on right now. Just just screw over the big hedge funds and you know. Yeah. Well, what happens whenever the hedge funds have quantum computers and can run uh, huge neural nets and know exactly what you're going to do before you do it? Well, I guess they already do. I'm, I'll keep mm-hmm. keep that question in mind. But they already are. There are hedge funds that are making that make money off of Robinhood, which is they already have the data of what you just bought. They have it before your data goes into the into the market, so they already know what you're going to buy before it. But yeah, what what else happens? Well, like, uh, huh? Well, that, that, so so do you know how Robinhood makes like fifty five percent of their revenue? Because they sell they sell the the the, would you the normal person's data to Citadel the and patterns, then the, yeah, yeah, yeah and then yeah. they yeah that's, this is yeah that's, that's some sketchy stuff yeah, yeah so what happens whenever they have quantum computers because they have the they have more resources than you or I do right well I I don't know about I think quantum computers I hope by that point they are very heavily regulated yeah. they need to be yeah. You know they they're very powerful. Don't get me wrong, and and they and they have great potential for for applications in in the medical field everywhere, but they can't be in the hands of someone like a hedge fund. They yeah. they really can't. Um, we we can't afford that, yeah. because you're right. They they could very easily just just sell, and, and they're so fast. You know they get they could sell sell puts just like that, and and you know someone snatches them up on the other end. They know they know exactly what would would sell through those neural nets. That is, that that's an interesting thought. Honestly, it's an interesting question in, in a long book of questions about the the ethics of of quantum computing. There are a lot. There's a lot of debate about the not so much the use of quantum computers, but the misuse of quantum computers, yeah. because there is so much that can go wrong by their existence, and yet so much that can go right at the same time. I think, yeah, I, I, I'd have to think that, that they'd be regulated enough by then to where the, the hedge funds wouldn't be able to get their hands on them, but I've been surprised before and might be surprised again. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm about to pause it. All right, we're back. Okay, so whenever this conversation started with YouTube, we were about to start talking about the algorithms with YouTube, but then I got just, I was curious about how you got started with technology in general. Mm-hmm. But uh, so going back to the algorithms, would you like to explain what what exactly an algorithm is mm-hmm. and how it is? how how much of a role algorithms play in everyone's life whether they know it or not mm-hmm. 
So, so an algorithm is honestly best described by, by an example. Um, so, so to take the YouTube algorithm and to kind of break down what it is, what it does, the YouTube algorithm, it obviously looks for patterns. And, and so that's, that's the one big thing that an algorithm does is it, it is a pattern. All algorithms are a pattern to an extent. And, and what the YouTube algorithm is doing is it's finding not only patterns, but patterns of patterns and patterns of those patterns. And, and so you start getting into like, you know, the derivatives of patterns. And that's obviously an extremely complex algorithm, but that an algorithm doesn't have to be complex to be an algorithm. You know, sorting a, sorting a group of numbers with a computer is an algorithm. There's, there's thousands of different ways to systematically sort numbers. And each one of those is an algorithm, an algorithm with a different efficiency, with a different uh, memory requirement. There are advantages and, and disadvantages to various algorithms. Um, essentially what it is is a mathematical solution to a recurring problem. And, and you know, the, the problem being solved by the YouTube algorithm is the user not having a video to watch next, yep. right? And the, it's keeping them on the platform. That's the problem that, that that algorithm solves. And it is so incredibly complex that that algorithm goes so far beyond just, you know, hey, you just watched a, you just watched a video about, um, about learning guitar. We're gonna show you another video about learning guitar. It's so much more than that. Maybe right when you start using YouTube, it's like that. But as it learns, it starts to learn, you know, what your patterns are in, in you know, like maybe, maybe you learn guitar, maybe YouTube knows that, that to this point, you've uh, picked up guitar lessons on YouTube, tried to learn it for a couple months at a time, and then put it down in favor of, I don't know, chess or something. Well, YouTube will pick up over pick up on that over time. It'll say, "Hey, so so maybe we can recommend like a maybe we can recommend a guitar video now to maybe get him back into into learning guitar. Or maybe if he has been learning guitar, we can you know we can show him a chess video. Maybe he'll get back into chess and, and kind of go on up on a YouTube tangent on learning on learning chess. So so I think the the emphasis is like I said earlier, it's not only just patterns; it's patterns of patterns." And that's where AI comes in and, and can really, really look at, at what someone's been doing and with, with scary accuracy predict what, what they're going to do in the future. Because we are habitual creatures, right? We, we regress to, to things that, that we are interested in. And, and once YouTube begins to learn those, not only can it suggest you things regarding what you're interested in, it can suggest things that it think that it thinks based on what you are interested in, you might also be interested yeah. in, and then you start on a whole different. Yeah, it path. keeps you there for a whole. Yeah, a whole another section of your life is now going to be sucked up into it because you now like right. doing. I don't know, keeping up with the Kardashians. You like watching. I don't know. Just yeah, it'll just suck your information, or it'll suck your brain into something that you didn't even know you wanted mm. and it gives it to you. That's that's the issue is yeah. you not knowing what you want. That that algorithm knows what you want to see better than what what you know you mm. want to see. Um that is that's bad and that's where TikTok has been so from a business perspective like if I was an investor looking at TikTok, I would look at their algorithm and be like this is ridiculously good. This is this is like too good. You know, you open TikTok and and I don't I don't know what you you know how much you use no, TikTok. I don't I, I don't have I, it. I, 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 don't I have deleted it. TikTok. I'm <laughs> I'm done with that app. But 
you open it for 10 minutes, next thing you know, you've been in it for an hour. Yeah. And, and they just show you exactly, based off your, off your location, off your trends, they obviously have all sorts of information from other yes. companies, you know, based on what to show you. They, they can show you exactly what, what you want to see before you even know it. That is extremely, extremely toxic. It's yeah. it's it's bad news because what you know what we were just touching on kind of in the in the break there it was was you know technological health that is a serious threat to to maintaining you know a healthy relationship with technology that is a I I think there's going to have to be some sort of regulation of these algorithms at some point yeah. because because you've simply got you've got people so addicted to these platforms. It, it is so addicted. I, I'm, I'm addicted to YouTube. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I'm someone who's pretty conscious about how they use their time. And yet every time I go on YouTube, I end up getting you know, on, a, on a tangent. I end up starting a video about X and then end up watching a you know, cougar fight an eagle or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, something ridiculous. Yeah. And um, I, think, I think, like I said, there, there will definitely have to be some, some regulation as to, as to what, they can, what they can do. And that sort of loops back to, you know, how effective can an algorithm be if you limit the amount of data available to it? So I think you can limit the, the efficacy of potentially harmful algorithms like the TikTok algorithm by limiting what data it can use to formulate its suggestions, yeah. essentially. And not only, like we were talking about the individual, like the unhealthiness of the algorithms, like the effect of it on an individual, but there's like a much larger, uh, a much larger problem that has been like completely, like has become very obvious, which is the effect of the algorithm on not just the individual, but on as society as a whole. Like mm -hmm. you have two, there's there's now like alternate realities for large segments of the nation of the world. Like half the people think that Trump is the devil and the other half think he's an angel. And it's mm -hmm. all from these algorithms that are just striking on your emotion to just try to keep you engaged. And what keeps you engaged is emotionally attaching like um, emotional things like hate mm -hmm. and like love and desire and all these things but i was i was listening to something the other day and it was interesting the guy was on uh who was talking who created uh what was that netflix documentary on social media like the, uh, the social dilemma the social yeah. yeah so the creator of the social dilemma was talking with uh this other guy like Brett Weinstein, I don't know if you know who that mm -hmm. is, but I've heard that name. But he, uh, they were just talking about how, like on on a societal level, there there are huge portions of the nation who live completely different universes because of the information silos that the that Twitter just or that all these social media platforms and everything just drives you down, and like you're in your squad, and you have absolutely no idea what it's. You, like you don't live in the same world as someone who's on in another silo and so that mm -hmm. that divide like the differences between people is just like just widening and widening as as people continue to use these algorithms and it's just really scary mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know what's gonna i don't know what this is gonna have on yes yeah, yeah and, and, and you make a good point regarding regarding like the trump thing and, and the parlor thing and and facebook was was you know 
blamed for for a lot of that and and they should have been you know they they uh they allowed for a lot of misinformation to be spread on their platform yeah. just to retain the people just to retain you know the the ad watch time yeah. if anything that is uh that's very very dangerous and that's when the question comes up and, and you hear uh primarily republicans talking about this um you know i don't want to get political yeah. but but uh, primarily Republicans are talking about how big tech is now more powerful than the government itself. You know, regardless of what you think of the people saying that, there is some truth to that. Yeah. And, and, and it's scary how, how, you know, how much of a step these, you know, it's like, it's like big tech was just walking along, along and just stepped right over the government. Just yeah. stepped right over them and, and just walked right behind them. That's... Um, it's scary at this point how much they can control, and and there's an argument to that. The flip side of that is like, okay, well at least at least the government's not controlling it now, yeah. you know. But but I don't know that Facebook's intentions are much better than than the government's were, in um, in controlling media like that. I think it's, I I think social media has by and large ruined the media. Yeah. And and I think the main issue with it, and I and I wrote a I wrote a a paper about this um, for a science and technology class I took in society STS and um, and I wrote about the 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 over dependence on the headline nowadays like so many people are getting their news from like Twitter well what what does that mean it's not necessarily bad to get your news from Twitter because there are a lot of rep there is a lot of reputable news on Twitter but the issue I take with it is is the whole nature of Twitter is 240 characters. It's 240 characters. Can you consider yourself informed on a topic by reading 24 or 240 characters? So many people nowadays they do. Whether whether or not they, you know, they know they do or 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 don't, the the truth is is that people read a single tweet and it is so easy to just run off with that tweet and 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 spread misinformation about what you know the contents of, of whatever article may have been uh, may have been linked to the tweet, and um, I I think you know you know back back in the day I, I joked because um, a, a a news article now a news excerpt is equivalent to what was a headline in the in the fifties yeah. right so so think of like reading a newspaper in the fifties but just reading the headlines. Only the headlines, and and nowadays you're reading headlines that are that are skewed for media bias. Back yeah. in the day, that wasn't nearly as prevalent. Um, you know, now now it's it's all about. I, I think the the depth of information that people are are receiving is going down, yeah. and the width is increasing. If that makes sense, yeah. you know, the no, the, yeah. uh, the broadness of information yeah. that people are accumulating is much wider. But but their their depth of knowledge on the subject doesn't you know doesn't correlate with that, and uh, I think that's problematic obviously for many reasons. But I don't really know how you go about solving it because our entire generation, we have such short attention spans, and that's where so many of these problems are are derived is because we have we have been sort of programmed to this point to just want that quick tidbit that that you know that quick YouTube video. YouTube is now more than ever pushing short videos. And there's a reason for that. It's not just, uh, you know, it's not just them wanting to play more ads. It's literally what, what our generation likes. We can't sit down and watch a 30 minute video. Um, we, we would rather watch, we'd rather watch 10 three minute videos. Yeah. 
I don't think that's a good thing. Yeah. I really, I really don't think that's a good thing because it causes people to uh, to formulate opinions that might be based upon um, even if, even if what they are reading or what they are hearing is true, they they might formulate their opinions based on not knowing the whole story, yeah. not, not not knowing why. why. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. Not knowing why it's true and knowing why it's true. You know, that's. That's how you solve problems. You logic. Don't, you know, yeah, <laughs> it's right, like you using, right. like, yeah, that's exercising logic, and now that's it. Kind of goes out the window with uh, all this new short-term instant stuff. Mm-hmm. And, oh, uh, gosh. The we were talking about neural nets earlier. Uh, I've been learning about them recently in data science and mm-hmm. all this stuff. Does that? Does that interest you, or what's your like? What's your what's the most interesting technology field that's grabbing your attention? Mm-hmm. So, I think I think neural networks are interesting. Um, I think we need to. They're not quite where they need to be in, in order for it to be like one of those one of those things that's like world changing. And now, yeah, don't get me wrong. Neural networks certainly have the potential to to kind of reinvent how we how we think of thinking it's mm. it's very it's very meta you know yeah. it's uh it's it's like yeah the the idea being eventually you can simulate a mind through through a neural network and um there there are applications to that but i don't think we're at a point in this is kind of hard to phrase but i don't know that we're at a point in those derivative technologies, where where neural nets might be important, where they are, <laughs> I don't I don't think we're at a point where they can be important yet. If okay. if, if that makes sense, okay. I think I think you have to uh, you have to have a better way to to use the data that, that neural networks provide right now. Um, you you can you know they're they're useful at this point, but they're not they're not as useful as as AI. And although they're they're very commonly linked with AI, it's they're they're two different things. Um, I think AI, you know, to, to answer your question, I think AI is, is, is huge because we are at a point with AI where, where we can really start to do amazing things with it. I'm not sure if you've heard of, uh, oh, what's it called? I think it's G, GTP maybe, GTP3. Yeah, the trans, what, what is that, the, the like natural language processor? What, what yeah. does it do? It's so, so you can essentially put in... Um, and I've got a video I can show you about this too. That's, that's really interesting. You can essentially give it a question or give it a uh, give it a prompt, give it a goal, and it will formulate like incredibly impressive linguistically correct sentences to answer the question. Basically, so what what they actually did with it, which was a really interesting experience uh, experiment, is they created a Reddit account that was entirely run by GTP. And and the the goal of the Reddit account was was to see how long it could go undetected, and they just let it browse a bunch of random threads and reply to people. It went for a week, and then they were just finally like, all right, well, people aren't going to pick up on it. It's performing extremely well, yeah. and you read the comments it posts, and and they are they're, they're good. They're not exactly natural because you know there there'd be a video of a of a of a funny video of a dog doing something, and and GTP would go and write like. 300 words about it to an extent you yeah. know it's 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 not not perfect yet in, in simulating human speech 
but but the way it's able to to interpret the English language is incredibly impressive. I'm not sure if you've heard much about um, like how how linguist how linguistics work in in the context of computers, but you know you think you think about a computer forming a sentence, and you're like that's pretty easy. You know, noun, verb, and and you know everything in between, prepositions, whatever. It's actually when you get into direct and indirect objects that computers start to completely fall apart. Like, uh, I, it'll be hard to think of an example sentence on the fly, but, but the cat is in the suitcase. It. Um, what's a direct object? What's what so, is, so so a direct like the object? Cat, the cat and the suitcase are the two direct objects, or what? Yeah. You, so so if you say I walk my dog, uh -huh. your dog is the direct object. Yeah, yeah. I walk my dog home. Home is the indirect object, mm. right? So. So that's the issue comes in when when you start using pronouns to refer to those indirect and direct objects. Because th think about this: uh, saying saying I put um, uh, the cat meowed when I put it in the envelope or something. Mm -hmm. Well, the computer might say that it, and that's a terrible example sentence. But but I'll, I'll try to come up with a better one. But the computer will look at that sentence and it won't know what it is referring to. Yeah. It's As, a, it, it could be it could be the envelope or it could be the cat. Yeah. Now for for a human, it's like that know. that yeah. sentence doesn't make any sense because the cat's not going to fit in an envelope. Yeah. But the computer doesn't know that. So linguistics reaches this whole new level of complexity when you start bringing in linguistic context, right? You know, like uh like like saying I, I think it's a great example to say uh, if something fits in something, you know, uh, if something that obviously does not fit in that thing, we're, we're said to a human, we and know humans that are like, wait, wait, yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't calculate. But then a computer's like, oh, it, you know, it's in the box or it's in yeah. the, and, and that's where things start to get really, really, really complex. Um, and that, and that's an issue that's, that still is, remains largely unsolved to this day. It is like the linguistics issue. Um, in in formulating things like like Siri and, and you know digital assistants, making them respond perfectly. That's why so many of Siri's uh, responses to this day are just like pre-written. Yeah. Almost, almost all of them are. Yeah. Um, eventually, we'll get to a point where where computers do have a good contextual understanding of indirect objects, direct objects, and and the other many qualms that come with with linguistics. Because you know context isn't just applicable. To, to direct and indirect objects. It can be applicable to, to prepositions, and there, there's so much complexity to it that you don't see on the surface that, that what, you know, and, and when you come to realize it, you see what GP, GTP is doing is crazy. It is super cool. Well, I've got a question. When do you think that uh, GTP3 will understand what it's saying? And so, uh, like, I know that GTP3 right now it takes it just takes patterns from a whole bunch of sentences and then it and and what you ask it it then looks back at all these patterns and how everything's fits together in a sentence when do you think it'll turn into the computer actually understanding what is being said instead of just pattern making like when is it agi when right does so, it become general so so that was uh gtp2 was was mainly it it was kind of like the point of gtp2 was was to sort of create a spark notes of of a million different data sources mm -hmm. to create a valid sentence kind of what you're saying yeah. gtp3 is is more aware 
of, of the, the text it's, it's creating. It's more aware of, of you know, maybe, maybe this sentence that, that's related wouldn't be so good to put here because it doesn't flow well with the rest of the, with the, rest of the excerpt. Mm. GTP3 can now think that. Now, it's not perfect. Um, I would say that, I mean, give, given how long it took them to go from GTP3 or GPT, GTP2 to GTP3, I think we're probably closer closer than we think. Um, I would say that you'd have a an extremely powerful, extremely intelligent, very aware linguistic processor by 2023, 2024, at the rate at which it's expanding now. And now Microsoft has purchased GTP3. So a ton of research funds are about to be put to it. Um, it's it's exciting. It's exciting because, because you're talking about there's a ridiculous amount of applications for it. And, and one of the coolest applications for it, and something that they talk about on their, on their website a good bit, is taking the data that is already available on the internet and sort of reorganizing it in a way that's extremely easily read by computers. You know, if you, if you, uh, if you look at Wikipedia now, you know, Wikipedia obviously is a, has a vast amount of information. Yeah. But how much of that information is actually accessible by a computer? By, by a computer with no, with no sort of linguistic processing? Yeah. Not a whole lot. You know, their birth date, you know, the date they were married, you know, the date they were divorced, whatever. But, you know, if they had colon cancer or something, you know, it's not going to know that. Yeah. It, it's not, it's not going to go through, it's not going to go through, and that's why you can ask, you know, you can ask Siri, when was this person born? When did this person die? But, you know, she gets tripped up on things like where were they raised? Yeah. You know, so, so the idea is with something like GTP, you can, you can go back. You can, you can go back on this massive wealth of knowledge that we've accumulated over time. And GTP can read through and create this long table of like, you know, divorces or, or you know, hometowns or, or you know, Various different, various different um, descriptions of, of a person or a place or a thing. Uh, I guess variables would be yeah. would be a better way to yeah. say it. Um, and and so it's sort of going back and and taking all the information we have now, and just storing it in a new way. You know, obviously all the information we have right now is very readily accessible to humans. Let's make it readily accessible to computers. Yeah, is the idea. That's like it. it just getting a a vast amount of data from just information that was already out it's already out in the reaches for computers well not not it doesn't it can't interpret it but wait till it can't like with the gt3 right. stuff it, it can right and there's it, gonna be it, it that much more is. data yeah it, it it has the information now it just doesn't know it has the information exactly it's it's giving it the ability to to know it has the information and and then you you can expand on that so so once GTP does does the linguistic analysis, then you bring in AI, or then you bring in neural networks yep. to form to form ideas, essentially, you know, new ideas regarding you know regarding the relationship between two of those variables or something. You know, maybe the the number of divorces and net worth or something. You yeah, know, like yeah. like some something like that. Um, and and there are all kinds of examples for for patterns that can be made made through that. But it, it, it opens the door for just 
an entirely new generation of data processing and, and of the handling of data and will make things like Siri and, and even Google much more powerful because you can look up something and Google's already decent at it. You know, they can pick out an excerpt of an article that might have your answer. Yeah. Works like 50% of the time. I mean, usually you have to click on the article to get it. In the future, when that computer can just look at look at the table, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know. Say you're researching somebody like Charlie Chaplin or something, yeah. and and um, if the computer already has all that formatted data about Charlie Chaplin, and you ask some obscure question about him, you know, like uh, you know where he was, um, where he got married or something. You know, that's not something that would have just popped up before, and now, and now a computer can maybe make you know ties and and give you that answer just like that. What what I'm thinking of as being like a very monumental step in just the human race as a whole is whenever computers are smart enough to be able to understand what you're asking it. Say you want to, hey, hey Siri, create this program that insert problem here like create this program for me to where I can now drive a car without or like I don't have to drive the car for the car to go to where I need it to go so instead of instead of humans trying to understand and, and solve the self-driving car thing you can literally say the problem that you have like hey create a self-driving car for me mm-hmm. and I feel like one day there's going to be smart enough AI to be able to take those words into the translation processor and then they, they're able to understand what it means and then they're under, able to understand how to, how to go into whatever, like go into the machine processing or the, the, they're able to compile their own code, like create mm-hmm. their own code and compile their own code. That's yeah. going to be crazy. Well, well, it's yeah, and it, and it's not not terribly far away yeah. actually. You know, you've already got like uh, like Google's Alpha Zero. Have you heard of that? I've heard of Alpha Go and Deep Minds, but I haven't heard of uh, Alpha Zero. What's that? So, so that's a chess engine. Okay, yeah, and, okay. And so, so chess engines are actually a really uh, you know it seems kind of obscure, but they're a really good way of of testing. And AI's ability because chess is such a complex game. You know, there are more there are more possible games of chess than there are atoms in the universe. Yeah. So, like, it's you know, you're not going to be able to just go on previously known data. There's no way to manage that much data. So, so Google created this this Alpha Zero, and they ran it on their supercomputer, the same exascale computer I was talking about yeah. earlier. And in four hours, four hours, their AI had programmed itself to become good enough to take every other engine in the world to the cleaners. It, so Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player in the world, is like 2,900 rated. That's his, that's his, or 2,800 rated maybe. That's his like chess rating. Alpha Zero got to like 3,300 in four hours. I mean, the, the sheer amount of data that these computers can process is, is wild. I think that, that and, and and like I said, it, it, it's a bit of an ex- obscure example to to refer to to a chess engine, but it goes to show, you know, like what if you did give it a a task, like instead of you know win this game of chess, go from go from San Francisco to L.A. Yeah, and and you know obviously you can't just put it on the road and let it do it, but but you know you can. 
over time, try it. And, and you know, I, I, think, I think that is actually the, the way in which self-driving cars will, will become, you know, truly good, truly, yeah. truly what they're supposed to be. Be able to simulate all these different, like yeah, you, they can simulate the entire world inside of the computer to where they can run a million different test runs but you don't even have to like it, it doesn't have to be in in our physical world mm-hmm. for it to be able to understand and learn from the stuff like with right. with simulations i was talking with my my roommate harrison yesterday who's uh who was telling me about this neuroscience stuff and we were just talking about neurons and all these different things and i was just thinking about when whenever this is going to come whenever a computer is able to simulate the physics the entire the every, like the the deep code of our universe mm-hmm. it'll be able to solve any problem possible like yep. it, it'll be able to understand like we were talking about how how the impulses of neurons are like it's all electromagnetic stuff and what what makes up the electromagnetic or the electrons going on and uh, this is getting kind of like I'm kind of all over the place here, but I guess sure. what I'm getting to is one day we'll be able to zoom in on a quartz and understand what is inside of the quartz before humans even measured its existence in real life. Like it'll, mm-hmm. I feel like it'll just be able to go deep down into the infinitesimally small parts of the universe just yeah. by having being able to simulate. Yeah, and the, and, and what's what's exciting is quantum computers allow for that because because when you the whole idea of quantum mechanics is is solving what's happening at a level where the fundamental laws of physics no longer apply so when you get when you get down to this particle level dude you know you're you're not using orbital velocity down at the particle level things are just too unpredictable but you know you put that quantum computer on it that quantum computer is literally using those you know quantum particles to to basically figure out how things work on that level. It's in, no in a way longer unpredictable. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's no longer probability yeah, based. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you if you know what's going on, and that that is a that is really interesting. Now, you know, there, there's a there's one major kind of step back from that, and that is that is getting to a point where we have the sheer processing capability to to do that. And this gets into a whole different topic, but but another thing I find really interesting, and uh, that is where we go after silicon. And uh, you know, every every microchip nowadays is, is silicon. I say nowadays, every microchip ever is, is silicon. Yeah. Well, you're talking about the actual material, not yeah, yeah. 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 So so you know, silicon is a is a remarkably it, it is an incredible material. The, the properties of it are, are extremely fascinating because the resistance of silicon, the electrical resistance of silicon goes down as it gets hotter, which doesn't happen in, in, in any other. Now, it, there are a few other, few other elements that have the same property, but nothing that can be harnessed like silicon because, you know, silicon is, is on the periodic table. It's right below carbon. It's a very, very abundant, very, yeah. you know, easy to get resource that has this this ability to become faster as it gets hotter you know the the same can't be said for any metal out there and you're like, talk- like copper you're talking about the uh faster as in the time that it takes 
it takes less and less time for a signal to be pulsed through the silicon. An electron to get from point A to point B okay, within yeah. the processor. So yeah, essentially, you know, because typically in like a copper wire, when a copper wire gets really hot, the the entropy, the randomness happening in the wire, the, you know, you think when something's hot, everything's moving on, you know, all the particles in, in it are moving. Well, it's harder for an electron to, to pass through that mess than it is, you know, an electron to pass zero. through. Right, yeah. right. And, and an electron will travel at almost light speed at, at absolute oh zero. Yeah, because it's a massless particle. It's one of the few particles that can do that. Um, so, so that's kind of where silicon is, is so cool. You know, obviously, until it reaches its melting point, it is extremely efficient at, at transferring um, electrons. Now, to get kind of get back to the to the issue I was talking about with silicon, we are actually reaching a point where we're having to start thinking about. We're going to have to start thinking about where we go when when our transistors get too small for silicon apple on their on the next iphone apple will well may, maybe two iphones from now but but let's use this one for example iphone 12 has a five nanometer process which means that each transistor in the chip on that phone is five nanometers to put that into context you could fit you could fit hundreds of those in the width of a hair so the 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 and then they're stacked too. So so that little that little chip in there is like that big, and it's got like seventeen billion transistors in it. It's it's just ridiculous. Now the the reason why the five nanometer process is important is we're about to move to the three nanometer process in like probably twenty twenty three or twenty twenty two when when TSMC completes it. And the size of a silicon atom is like I think it's like point three nanometers or point four we are quickly moving towards the theoretical limit of, the, of a transistor, of, of the size of a transistor. We are approaching a point at which the atom of silicon would theoretically have to be smaller. It's too you know, big. Yeah, it's too, it's too big for, for the transistors we're making. So where do you go from there? And, and that is like, that's a super interesting question because it's really hard to think of something. And now what they're talking about is a new generation of computers based on based on light, like oh like computers God. based on light going through the inside, and and there are all kinds of advantages to that. You know, once you once you start dealing in light, you don't have to worry about heat as much, not nearly as much, because the the, the light is not going to release nearly as much heat as as you know trillions of electrons would yeah. running around in, in in silicon, and and you know despite what I said earlier, managing heat in a computer is still obviously very important. Um, so when you when you go to light, you're transferring less energy because you're not actually transferring electrons. You're transferring light, Photons. which will be turned into electrons. You know, and I mean, I, I don't I don't see how it's possible. But obviously, I also don't see how it's possible to create a five nanometer transistor. Yeah. So you know, it's it'll be interesting to see by the year twenty twenty five. Probably we'll we'll start to we'll start to see at least some some theoreticals on on how we move past silicon, which is like a ridiculous thing to think about for any any one interested in computers it's just wild okay the remind me again what exactly a transistor is so so the the inner workings of a processor it is very simply put just a massive collection of light switches mm -hmm. it, it is it is they are on or they're off and those light switches can be can be linked in certain ways to make gates and so you've got something like an and gate and, and an AND gate in a processor is saying, okay, if, if this transistor is true, if it's, if it's one or on, 
and this one is on too, then you know we we send a send a signal, right? Yeah. That's an and because both conditions are true. Yeah. Then you have an or gate, mm-hmm. which is you know if one if one of the conditions is true, and uh, and so s- transistors are the building blocks that make those gates possible, and those gates are what make everything possible in a computer. You know, the, a computer being able to add numbers is just a bunch of or and, and 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 then you get into like x and and n and and there are you know there are tons of different kinds of gates but but the main thing to the main takeaway is they're all made possible by by transistors these little light switches the, the silicon and that's based and that's the transistors are made of the silicon right right yep. and and that's where you that's where you see nowadays it's not like they're manufacturing you know individual transistors i'm not sure if you've uh, if you've ever seen a chip fab um, but but like Intel, I think, has done some kind of uh, tour or or, or sh- walkthrough of their fabrication facility, and the way it works now is lithography. So so you're taking a little little like disk of silicon, and you're no longer like putting putting transistors onto that silicon. You're carving them into the silicon with light, like you're you're and, and you watch it and it is incredible. It is incredible, and and these these fab units have to be in, insanely well controlled to even walk into one. You have to go through like a dusting machine. You have to put on a white suit that covers all of your body, uh, you like down to the bottom of your feet, because a single speck of dust in there mess it up, fucks up everything. Yeah. Oh. No, you're Sorry. good. You're uh, good. Okay. good. I, I, I didn't know. There, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's that's crazy. Man. I lost my train of thought from that, <laughs> but um, but. Yeah, the kind of where where we go where we go after silicon is is really interesting because it it is it's a challenging problem to me. I don't really see how you do this to create a transistor out of light. You know, and and light has energy obviously. And but electrons ha- have energy that is more easily harnessed yeah. than than light does. It has mass. Right, a, right. Well, no, well, it, do, oh, it, no, doesn't, it doesn't have, have mass, mass, but it, but it has, it does have energy. Yes. Um, okay. Yeah. So, so seeing, seeing where we go from that, seeing how we transition to light-based computing, which is, that's crazy. Would you that's, want to be a part of figuring out that solution? Maybe, maybe. I, I actually think the, um, that that's getting into to. A lot of a lot of hardware design you know I've, I've always told people they don't no, no one understands the complexity of of designing a computer chip it, it on the inside yeah it just looks like things done over and over again just a bunch of gates but there are probably 20 people in the world who really really truly understand what's going on inside that processor I'm talking seriously some of the smartest people alive there are the, these guys at Intel their main chip designers are probably making well over half a million dollars a year with, mm-hmm. with options. Like they are, these guys are highly valued dudes, yeah. and um, and they they are they're responsible for for building all those pathways to, to connecting for connecting everything together so it works. I think it, it would have to it would have to come down to to those guys to create something that could function with light. It it seems so so out of this world complex to do that well i guess at one point these 20 guys were probably freshmen in college studying computer science yeah yeah so like there's just 
like just that's it doesn't seem especially like I've I've only known you for like a week but you I wouldn't put it past you to be able to to be some like to keep on if you keep on the tra- trajectory of the, the life that you've been living like it's I don't think it'd be impossible to say that you'd be able to help really f- help solve some big issues in yeah. the world. Yeah, well I I almost want to kind of what what I want to do with with computer science is sort of beyond, you know, beyond making a new a new chip, beyond mm-hmm. making things just faster and 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 better. I think there's there's so many people out there right now who who are doing that and who would probably do it honestly better than I would. Mm-hmm. Where I'm really interested in computer science is taking that technology and applying it to fields where it matters. So so I think I'm, I might have talked to you briefly about I'm, I'm thinking about switching my major to to biology and then doing like a minor in computer science or maybe a, maybe a double major. I don't know. And the reason for that is is because I want to be able to take all this all this technology we have now. There's such such a wealth of it, and and continue to apply it to the medical field. Yeah. Because because we are we are on the on the verge of solving like some of the most ridiculous problems health-wise that, you know, like cancer. We're getting to a point where we can simulate cancer. Uh, we, we can figure out the methods through which, through which cancer works. And, and I'm reading all kinds of studies now where, where they're doing that and they're finding like certain antigens that, are, that, uh, that can be um, blocked from, from certain receptors in like tumor cells and, and that, that sort of unmasks like tumors from the from the immune system that's that's like the way cancer is able to to um to perpetuate is you know it it's able to to mess with the immune checkpoints of the body and basically make make the body think that everything's okay when it's definitely not it blocks the immune response well if you can block the checkpoints from working then cancer has completely lost its the manner through which it works and, and, and using those simulations, we've already identified, we've already identified, um, I, I think they're, um, I can't remember the names, they're long names, but, but it, they're antibodies that can go in and, and attach to receptors, block cancer from, from veiling itself from the immune system. And the immune system's like, wait, whoa, what do we have here? It's, it's not about your body killing cancer. Your body can kill cancer very, very easily. It does it all the time. You know, it, kill, it kills rogue cells all the time. It's about identifying them. And so once it can identify them, it can go in and, and, and knock them out like that. And the great thing about it, an application like that is it's not specific to a certain kind of cancer. It's like, you know, if you've got lung cancer, you got melanoma, whatever, you can, you can use this, uh, you can use this, this technology to, to, um, kind of hit, hit back at it really, really easily. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think simulating, Simulating cancer in and you know down down to the down to the level of the antigens and and the and the receptors It, it opens the door for for just an unbelievable amount of amount of progress in these fields like to the point where where I feel confident at this point That by the time I, I turn 50 cancer will be a non-issue. Yeah, and and I think Alzheimer's is the same, you know, as, as we advance our, our neural networks and as neural networks help us learn about the way we think, yeah. it's crazy. We've, we've created machines that can think well enough to help us learn about the way we think. Yeah. That's, that's wild. Um, 
you know, as, as we learn more about our brain, which we know nothing about now, really, yeah. in, in, in truth, we can go on to solve things like Alzheimer's, like ALS. There are, there's already a wealth of, of information that, that stems directly from computer science as to, as to ways we might be able to solve ALS through, through getting rid of, of rogue proteins, building up in the brain, things like that. That, that's what's really interesting to me. And, and it kind of came from, it was sort of an aha moment when I decided like, hey, I wanna, I wanna instead of going to work at like Google or, or Facebook or something, because as a computer science major, that's the, the expected route, result, yeah. right? You get out of college and you go make 100, 100K a year in, in California. Yeah. Great, I mean, if that's what you wanna do, then, then, then that's fine. You know, clearly, Clearly, it's a it's a, a desired outcome, yeah. you know, because there's so many people doing it now. But I thought to myself, what are you when, when when you go and work for for something like Google or Facebook? You are. I went and toured the Google campus, and the first thing I heard was there are forty thousand people working on that campus. What are you at that point? You know, are are you even an employee? Yeah. Or you're you're a number then, and and. Kind of, kind of that that started my thought of maybe you know I was obviously still interested in computer science, but but that that pushed me to think of okay what what ways can I apply this that that actually you know helps benefit people yeah. you know what that that's a little bit more you know lasting than than social media or, yeah. or than than an algorithm yeah. designed to te- really honestly hurt people yeah um, and and that aha moment came actually when. Um, so my, my grandfather, he was he was in bad bad condition last last year, early last year. Um, not not the healthiest man, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely not the healthiest. But he uh, he was on dialysis, and um, I remember this was about two weeks before he passed. He uh, I, I was going over to kind of visit him, and and you know. I was at college, so I was, I was kind of taking every opportunity I could get, and I, and I went to his house just while he was doing dialysis, just to kind of sit there and talk to him. And he, he's where I got my, my mind. Like my engineering mind comes straight from him. And uh, so I'm sitting there, you know, next to next to him in bed, and he and he says, um, he says, I want you to look at this dialysis machine. Like I want you to just like like come over here and, and let me show it to you. It's a big, big box, very complex, has all these bags attached to it, and and I knew what dialysis did. Are you familiar with dialysis? No. So it's it's essentially simulating a human kidney. Okay. So so if your kidneys go bad, then they put you on dialysis, okay. and and uh, and what it, what it does is it helps your body filter out the toxins, right? As as kidneys do. Mm-hmm. Um, so so he brings me over to the to the machine, and he pulls out this plastic filter, and he holds it up. It's probably probably a foot by six inches. And he shows it to me. I'm just looking at this thing in awe, because it's got two these tiny little tubes, these these hair sized tubes running all of the way through it in all these different directions. It's got little reservoirs and stuff inside of it. And he shows it to me and says, "Sam, this is a this is a perfect osmotic representation of the kidney, made in plastic." Probably created by by someone who was able to to you know sit down and 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 find the exact pressures that, that the kidney that the kidney uses the exact chemicals and and that was all some you know that was created by computer science and he showed me that and I'm just sitting there in awe and he looks at me and he says if it weren't for this machine I would have died five years ago yeah 
and and at that point it was I, I knew what was coming. I knew he was gonna he was gonna pass. He was he was in stage five stage five kidney failure at that point. Um, yeah, re- renal failure is what they call it. Um, and you know dialysis can only do so much. And he was miserable at that point. And and he ended up passing on two weeks later. But that was that was this big wake up moment for me. Like that is cool. I want to be able to to sit down and create something like that that can simulate the kidney. That's just incredible. And I mean, when you see it, it's so 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 complex. And um, ever since then, I've I've kind of just had a desire to to come up with something like dialysis. My goal has been, hey, you know, whoever designed that that plastic filter bought my grandfather five years. Yeah. And 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 in my eyes, you know. And, and even in his eyes, more importantly, bought me five years with my grandfather. Yeah. A very selfless man, and, and you know, you kind of said that. And and my goal in in life is to be able to to buy even just if I can buy ten more kids, five years with their grandparents. Dude, that is that is the impact I want to have. You know that that is that is where. That that is where I can take computer science, something I love, and and turn it into a turn it into an impact. Yeah. You know, turn it into something very very tangible. And um, yeah, I, I think the medical field is is the way for me to do that. The way for me to have my my greatest impact. I mean, I I think it would just be so cool to to come up with with some kind of technology that that can just save lives and and you know. Even if even if the person on the receiving end has no idea who created it, it's fine. Probably better that way, honestly. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, yeah. and I, I think it's there's so much that can be done in regards to that. You're starting to hear about people 3D printing organs. Like we 3D we 3D printed a spleen. Yeah. We'll start doing hearts and stuff. And and my roommate actually, you know, just downstairs, he's he's uh, talking about he had a heart valve issue and they had to replace a heart valve of his a donor valve obviously mm. you know what if we just printed that valve you wouldn't have to have a donor or just yeah. the whole heart oh my God. and we are so so close to that people do not realize how close we are to being able to do that but like with lab grown meat and everything and, and you know and, and stem cells we can we can perfect the medical field it, it, it doesn't seem like something that can be perfected but you know, I, I actually think that that mental health will be the biggest prevailing issue in the medical field after you know after the next twenty or so years because I think it's the only thing that computers will have a hard time you know fixing eventually. You know, with yeah. with, with everything we have now, the the end seems very very much in sight for for things like cancer, for things like diabetes, for for all all these terrible diseases. You know. If, if we can eliminate things like that, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's, how it's, do you how do you plan on? So, uh, a a major dream is to be able to have that impact for mm-hmm. just ten kids. Right. How do you go about? How do you incrementally get closer and closer to that goal each day? I think I think it's just important. I like how you say each day yeah. because because that that is such a long term goal. You know that's not something I expect to be able to achieve not in the next ten years. You know that's that's something that 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 I want to do at some point in my life, but but obviously you know not not now. Um, 
that's a that's a great question. I think continuing to to expand upon my my understanding of technology that's currently out there, mm-hmm. of of stuff that like CRISPR, CRISPR CRISPR gene therapy and and stem cells. I, I just mentioned stem cells. Stem cells are something that I want to really research sort of on my own in college, and I'm sure I'll learn some of it through through biology and whatever. Um, but but stem cells are, are something that I want to leave college with a very very good understanding of, and and because the truth is, with with a stem cell we can we can do anything. It is it is so incredibly powerful. You can you can rebuild any part of the body, and um, that's that is probably the field I, I would want to end up in is is stem cells and and gene therapy involving involving those. Um, so I, I think it really is is kind of just maintaining my my curious mindset, yeah. just ma- maintaining maintaining the drive to to have that impact, to um, you know keep keeping the right things in sight. I guess yeah. um, is, is the best way to put it, because because it can be easy to be lured by, by things like money. Could could I take a computer science degree and make a good bit of money out of college? Absolutely. But with what I want to do, I'm gonna have to look beyond that. Yeah. And 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 you know, that's something I'm trying to make myself used to right now. Like not not dependent on on material goods. Which sounds sounds so cliche. No, you know, but, no, but that's that's literally where you can have the like. That's how you can actually impact the world instead of spending just five thousand dollars within the year from eating out and going downtown all the time, getting fucked up and just having a blast. Mm-hmm. If you just save that and and you put that 5K into just into something that you want to create, that that specific creation could help the world, whatever it is that you do. Mm-hmm. But just exercising the creative mind and into just creating something, that first creation that took you 5K or whatever and you ended up being able to solve some little problem not only were you able to solve that problem, you were, you were having, you were practicing solving problems, and then, ten years from now, you could be amazing at doing something. And it all started with, if, if you have the, if you have the drive to do something and you have the focus, then all the other bullshit won't get in your way. It's all about scaling up at that point. Yeah, you know, just just continuing, you know. And, and that's why I think it is so important to kind of start at this age. And you bring up a good point. You know, you, you mentioned like going and blowing all your all your money downtown, and you know, obviously, and not time. obviously a bad idea. Yeah, and, yeah time. And, and time, and time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and I think that that sort of made me think. I think the best answer to your original question is maintaining balance. Yeah. You know, and that, and that is uh, that is a challenge which everyone will will fail at some point. And which is extremely hard to do, given all the all the temptations we have nowadays, to to just blow all time and, and do whatever you know, do whatever you want on your computer. Like we were talking about the technological health earlier. Um, I I think, yeah, I, I guess my my biggest goal is, is by the end of college to be in full control of myself. Yeah. Honestly, to 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 be able to. Um, to compartmentalize my mind, to switch on, to switch off, to to you know know when it's know when it's right to have fun, know when it's right to, to get to the grindstone, 
and and I think that way you can live a, a very fulfilling and and fun life because it, you know it's still important to go downtown and, and, yeah. have, and have you know good time with your friends every now and then um, but being able to control yourself in that context there are so many people who can't and and being the one you know one of the, one of the people who can will ultimately you know greatly help I think I think as soon as you get out of college if you can if you can steer yourself then, then you can get to where you want to go yeah. if, if you can't then you get out of college and you go in circles yeah. and and you uh, and, and if you haven't put any thought into what you want to do you know you don't have to know exactly but but if you haven't put any thought into it then you're kind of just out wasting there away. on your own you're wasting time <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh, that's that's what I want to avoid definitely yeah um, but yeah, I think that I think that as long as I can, uh, as long as I can continue to to learn about managing my time, that's that's a big big thing. Yeah. Is in college learning how to manage your time, um, and and you know the process I'm going through now is, is certainly is yeah. certainly helping with that. Um, yeah, that's uh, I think controlling controlling myself is yeah. probably the best way to put it. All right, well, uh, Sam, this sounds seems feels like a good place to wrap things up, but. Yeah. Thank you for your time. This has been awesome, and absolutely, I, I think that uh, I'd encourage you to just continue to continue doing what you're doing and keep that curious drive. And I, I'm sure that you'll make a positive impact. In yeah. The world. Well, thank. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's been it's been fun. Yeah, it's nice to kind of just sit down and not think about anything and have a conversation. Yeah, for a little bit, yeah. You know? it's, it's it's definitely a change of pace. Yep. Well, do you have any last uh, final thoughts you wanna? You want to say? Um, I, I would say that to everyone listening, make, make sure you continue to, and this sounds, again, cliche and, and middle school-y, but you know, in, ensure that you maintain a, a healthy relationship with, with technology over time. Um, I think that's a message that isn't spread enough, and, uh, and I think we, we have a tendency to get, to get very caught up in, in what's going on in the digital world, and we become stressed over it. And, and our maladaptive response to stress just compounds it all. And, and you know, I, I, think it's, I think it's important to, uh, to stay aware of, of how you use technology and, and, you know, the benefits and drawbacks that come with it. Um, mo- mostly staying aware, yeah. yeah. And uh, I, think, I think with that, technology can be a great thing. But without, without awareness, it, it has, you know, Without awareness is where is where the dystopian reality comes in. What what you don't want to see. So, I think that that would be my my final remarks. So that's awesome. Well, Sam, thanks, man. This has been this has been yeah a blessing. This is great for sure. All right.